Join us for a conversation about who the heck is Melchizedek and uncover who this mysterious biblical figure is. Okay, y'all. Okay, so uh, let's circle back up. Um, So I want to hear y'all's thoughts um, on these two questions. So who or what do people in the world um, put their hope in? Or who who are you, do you feel sometimes put tempted feel tempted to put your hope in other than Jesus. But what did y'all have for that first question? What did y'all talk about around tables? Yeah. As she always does. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, right. So we can convince ourselves that, no, really, this time, this is the guy, right? Or this is the girl that's, like, they're going to do it. They're going to fix everything, right? And we can kind of throw way too much weight behind knowing, because history is an example, that no one who has ever been in office has done it the way that we want them to, right? Or even the people that voted for them, the way they wanted to, right? That's that's never going to happen, right? But we we get tricked a lot. Yeah, what else? Who else or what else do you folks put their hope in or sometimes do you find yourself putting your hope in? Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's and I I fall into that sometimes. Of well, it's easier if I if I just do it myself and I don't involve other people in it, right? And then I I find myself, then I'm like, well, if that's my thought, well, then I'm putting a lot of stock in what I can do. <laughs> Probably way too much stock in what I can do, right? I'm I'm saying I trust myself more than I trust somebody else, right? And then that fails pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah, right, and then it's just this <laughs> circle, right? Yeah, yeah, anything else there? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That was several good things. Yeah. So money, this is what we just talked about for two weeks straight in uh, Sunday morning Bible study. Right. And it was convicting both times. And I was like, surely I got it the first time. Nope. Right. There's, there's always going to be a battle about putting our, our hope in financial security, right. That we can get for ourselves. Um, and similarly, right. Putting our hope in somebody else, whether that's a current partner or, the idea of a partner or, or whatever that is, right? Um, well, when I get into a relationship, then X, Y, and Z will happen, right? Or um, even in a marriage, putting your hope in that person rather than the Lord, right? That gets, that falls apart fast, right? Yeah, any other thoughts there 
on that one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like systems, right? Yeah. And some of those things, they're meant to be kind of a thing to have security in, right? That, that's the point of that, right? But if we put all of our hope in it, then we find ourselves getting fearful and anxious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do what? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, any of those systems, right, that we're taught that we can rely on them, and then all of a sudden we realize, wait, maybe we can't, right? Maybe things are going to change. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so what, what is your approach when you read something in Scripture and you have no idea what it is talking about? Or, um, <laughs> like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I guess we're doing a midweek in the city about it. Cause <laughs> yeah, what, what do you guys do when, uh, when, you're, when you encounter Scripture that you're you're like, mm, I have no idea. Whether it's a theological question or a person, like the person we're going to talk about tonight, or what do you do with that? So I found my problem here. Uh, when I found out from philosophy, the scriptures were going to get like that. So I tend to, like, I just I walk away, kind of clear my mind, bring myself back to the center. Yeah. Come back with a fresh mind and Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sometimes, and that's like with anything, right? You have to look at it with fresh eyes sometimes. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What else do you do? Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's a good source, right? Somebody that you know is better acquainted with Scripture. Yeah. What else do you do? Anything else? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Sometimes just to change like a synonym or a, like you said, a, the same word but in a different language, right? The, the slight difference of connotation there, right? That helps. Absolutely. And that's why I love that we have different versions and we can kind of workshop it. And that's because that's the first thing I do is when I'm like, don't know. I look at it in at least five different versions. So I'm like, okay, I sort of have a, a territory of what this could mean now, right? Yeah. 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 Pretty much is. I mean, there's not like fiction in there. It's like, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's where I went to talk about McKilsedek, right? That's, yeah, absolutely. There's resources here, and that's a good, good shout out to the library. Um, yes, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good place to get started, right? Because we know that pages upon pages upon pages have been written on scripture. Not all of them are good <laughs> or good interpretations, right? But we can figure out what we're looking at. Yeah. That's good. 
Um, oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. That's what Blue Letter Bible has some good stuff on there too, because it has a whole host of things. But um, so tonight, I asked that question because a lot of us have probably um, read the name Melchizedek, and then I don't know. So I came. I decided to do this because I um, have been doing my. Uh, Bible in a year, right? So I'm doing a chronological Bible this year. And so we did a little bit of Genesis, went to Job real quick, came back to Genesis. Um, But I came across Melchizedek again, and I was like, you know, I know I went to seminary and have like a religion degree and all this stuff, but like I have a loose understanding of Melchizedek, but it feels like I'm missing something, right? It feels like I should know more about this guy, okay? Um. Like, I have a general understanding of who he is, but I feel like I'm missing some knowledge. Um, and so I figured I wouldn't be alone, okay? Because um, he is a very elusive, kind of mysterious character in the Bible. And so just like a lot of folks that we could unpack, um, Melchizedek is kind of interesting. So until now, so there's going to be a lot of question and answer tonight, y'all, so be ready. Um, until now, what do y'all know or what have you been taught about Melchizedek? Or are you just like, he's, I think he's a priest. Right. Is what do you know or have been taught about the person of Melchizedek? Next to nothing. Okay, so I'm not I'm not alone. I was asking Blaze, I was like, do people know about him and I'm just not very bright? <laughs> or sort of. Sort of. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. We're gonna unpack that in a second. Absolutely. He and Abraham have some type of dynamic, right? Yeah, over here. Yeah. 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 We'll get into that in a second, too. See, there's theories. 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 There's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Anything else? Or you're just like, well, that's one of those things that I'll just say is a mystery and leave it to that, right? I'm way too comfortable doing that. I'm like, that's mysterious. I guess I, guess I don't have to know. Yes. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. If y'all... Um, if y'all are look, if you've never done a chronological Bible or a um, Bible in a year plan, then it's really easy to not read about people like Melchizedek, right? Because you can kind of go through the same books over and over again, or you can, or you're like me, where you tried a million different times to start it January first, and you only got through like half of Genesis, and so you know the first half of Genesis really well, and then the rest is kind of fuzzy, right? Um, and so, okay, so I'm glad that we're all kind of on the same page. He's a guy in the Bible. Abraham has to do with him, and that's about where we're at. Okay, so if you feel like you're missing something, there's actually not a lot out there on the person of Melchizedek. Okay, I searched like high and low. There is really not, comparatively, that much on him. Okay, you didn't just like totally tune out in Sunday school and miss the whole book in the Bible about him. There's just nothing like that, okay? Um, But part of why there's not a lot out there on him is part of why he's important. Okay, and so we're going we're gonna to get to that. Um, and so we're just going to work through this together, and we'll discover more as we go along, and we'll kind of figure out who the heck this guy is. Okay, and as we do this, I want you to consider, um, be considering this question as we go through this. How are you seeing Jesus reflected in the person of Melchizedek? Okay, we know that we should always be reading Scripture Christologically, meaning where do we see Jesus in the scripture, regardless of where in scripture we are, okay? So we'll, we'll circle back to that question at the end. Um, 
But keep that in mind as we go through this. Okay, so there are only three different sections of scripture that talk about Melchizedek, even though he's a pretty important dude. Okay, so Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and Hebrews sort of 5 through 7. Okay, and don't get me wrong, there's, it's not like there's a whole chapter devoted to him. Okay, there's like two, Genesis and Psalms, Psalm 110 only has like one or two verses about him in that whole chapter. Okay, Hebrews 7 is where we get a lot of stuff from. Um, but now, like Josiah said, there's some theories. Okay, so there's some theories on who this guy is, and I'll let you decide after we talk through these things what you think. So some people say he's like a personification of the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit came in this form, and as we walk through the scripture that talks about him, we'll see how that would play out. But he is like the Holy Spirit um, coming in human form. Okay, similarly, um, some people think he's an angel, just a straight-up angel. And we know that that, we see other scenes like that in scripture, right? That a man is just there all of a sudden, and they have an interaction with somebody, and then they leave the story completely, right? So the idea of an angel isn't totally out of, out of left field, okay? And some people think he is like a divine person with even larger, more dramatic powers than the person of Jesus. I think we can nix that as heresy, right? Pretty fast. Um, and then some people would say he's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, right? So he is, we got a little glimpse of Jesus in Melchizedek, and then we get the full understanding of Jesus when we see him in the Gospels. Okay, so those are some theories. I think all of them are wrong. But those are some theories, okay? Yeah. Right, yeah. So, or... Ex- oh my gosh, Tom Bombadil's a great... I never would have thought of that on my own, but that's a great example for Melchizedek. So, yeah, so, or, none of those things are true. He's a historical person um, that just had a lot of symbolism around him, right? Okay, obviously, that's the answer that I tend to go with, but I'll leave you to decide for yourself. So, let's get into it. So, let's look at Genesis together. Um, if you have your phone or your Bible, um, turn to Genesis 14, starting in verse 17. Also, I know it's going to rain here in a second, but I think there's like a nice little pocket between 8.30 and 9.30 where it's going to stop. So I'm going to try to get us out early so that you can (laughs) make it home without getting poured on. Um, So in Genesis 14, starting in verse 17, it says, so we're we're in Abraham's life right now, really Abram's life. Okay, it's before he became Abraham. It says, then after his return from the defeat of, (laughs) I practiced this, Kedorlaomer, (laughs) the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours. For fear you would say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre. Sorry, that might not be right. Uh, Let them take their share. 
Okay, so what? That makes no sense. Literally, that is the first time that we see Melchizedek enter the scene. And there is no context, no explanation, and then that's all. Until Psalm 110, that's it. Okay, until the New Testament when we get a lot more explanation. Well, a little bit more explanation on who he is. Okay, so just looking at that, let's unpack that a little bit. What do we learn about Melchizedek in Genesis? What do we know about him now? Looking... Yeah. So, so there's king of Salem, which is Melchizedek, and then there's king of Sodom, who's having that conversation about, no, no, really, give me the people, you can have all this stuff. So there's two kings in this conversation. But Salem and Sodom, that's like tomato, tomato, right? So that, that is kind of confusing. There's three people in this conversation, but yes... We, that's figuring out who's who in this conversation is important, so that's good. So what else do we learn about Melchizedek here? He pops on the scene, does something important, and vanishes forever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, so we would understand why people think this is kind of Jesus-y, right? We got communion going on. We got all these other kind of principles of blessing, right? We, it is not, now, I don't think that this is a pre-incarnate Christ, but I get why people go there for a second, right? Exactly. A type, right? And we're going to unpack that a little bit more later. He's, there's a type of which Christ is the fulfillment of, right, or the anti-type, right? Um, well, the fulfillment of that type is kind of the anti-type, right? Um, so, okay, so here, let's fill in the gaps a little bit, okay? Um, so it says he's the king of Salem, not Salem, Massachusetts, no. He's the king of Jerusalem, right? So Salem is really, it will become Jerusalem, okay? So that locates us a little bit here. Um, and so this helps us connect Melchizedek to the greater story of Scripture in the line of Abraham to David to Jesus, kind of like what Becca is saying, right? Um, he's not, it's not that he's related to Abraham, but he's, from, he's the king of Jerusalem at this time, right? And Jerusalem is obviously going to continue to be important throughout Scripture. Okay, and then his name, Melchizedek, literally means king of righteousness, Super Jesus-y also, right? So he's, his name means king of righteousness, king of peace. Yeah, yeah, right? And so, <laughs> foreshadowing, right? There's some really obviously foreshadowing going on here, right? Um, okay, we also know that he's a king as well as a priest. He's both of those things. And this was kind of how things were run back then. He was a priest king, 
okay? And this is about the highest rank you could possibly have, okay? He was the top of the top when it came to power in Canaan at this time, okay? Even more than Abraham, and really Abraham's important to us because we know his full story, okay? Um, Because when we're looking at Jewish and Christian history, it kind of all goes back to Abraham, right? Not to be irreverent, but he's kind of like the daddy of all of these things, right? It all goes back to, there's Father Abraham, right? There's a song about it, right? And so Abraham is where all of these things, right? And now we're going to all have that stuck in our head, sorry. Um, so, So he's even authoritative over Abraham, who's kind of the authority in some way, over the Jewish and Christian faith, right? Until we get to Jesus. Um, Okay, so we know those things. We also know that he's a Canaanite, okay? So he is not Jewish. Um, He lived around Abraham, um, but he wasn't part of Abraham's clan. Okay, and remember, this is pre-law. This is pre-Abraham having a son, Isaac. This is still really early on. We're only 14 chapters into Genesis. Noah was only like a few chapters ago, okay? So this is still really early on. So he was a Canaanite serving as king and as priest over basically Gentiles, okay? Non-Jewish people, not related to Abraham. But now also, he's king and priest over Abram, who is a Jew living in the land because that's where God told him he would eventually live and reign, right? So later we'll, we'll hear something called the order of Melchizedek. But that order... As we see here, it includes ministering to both Jews and Gentiles. Because we see him reigning over uh, Gentiles, and then Abram and his clan come in, and the Jews are included in that, right? Again, sort of Jesus-y, right? So we have all of these ways that we see Jesus already. Um, And now we see it as he is the king and priest over Jew and Gentile in this area. Okay, and then how does he refer to God? What is sort of the name that he gives God? God Most High. Okay, this isn't actually a way. Yeah, so yeah. So first of all, God Most High. That is not a way to name Yahweh. That's not, um, that seems like it makes sense, right? Of course, Yahweh is God Most High. That makes sense in English. But that's, that wasn't a name for him at that point. Okay, no one else would have called him that. Um, this was actually a name for the high god of the Canaanite pantheon, okay? So in uh, Canaan, there was a high ruler god, and then there was minor gods that they also believed in, right? And it's a little, it gets a little confusing and a little dicey, um, but basically Melchizedek is using the name of the Canaanite high god to refer to Yahweh, okay? So he doesn't know the name of God, but he knows the concept of God, and he's calling him God most high. And he's recognizing him as ruler and supreme overall, right? But there's also these other minor deities that exist in Canaan. And we don't know Melchizedek if he also worships those gods. We don't think so because he seems to have an understanding of who Yahweh is, right? But we know that the Canaanites have their understanding of God most high and also these other minor things. And so what we call that is is syncretism, right? There's, there's, that's kind of what we see going on here is this idea of syncretism. So let's unpack that for a second and let's define it first. What is syncretism? When you hear that word, um, how would, say that again? Like synchronize, yeah, sure. Yeah, what else does it make you think of or 
what would you take a stab at defining that as? Do what? There you go. There you go. Yeah. So syncretism is like, um, we're going to unpack this a lot. Okay, so basically, there's a religion, so like Christianity, right? And depending on what culture that, Christ, that Christian religion is in or any religion is in, it's going to take on some of the things of the culture that aren't actually specifically Christian things, right? And this happens everywhere. So whatever culture that Christianity is a part of, it sort of takes on some of that culture too, right? So Christianity in Poland is going to look a little bit different from Christianity in America. Not because they necessarily believe different things about Jesus, but because it's happening in a Polish culture. And so there's going to be things that, kind of, that they do at church that we're like, what? Why would you do that? And that's syncretism, right? And it's not inherently good or bad. It's actually kind of inevitable because we're all experiencing the Christian life in a context of culture that we live in, right? It's only on the other side of heaven that all of those things fall away. But how could syncretism, if we're thinking about it that way, how could that start to go south? Yeah, then it becomes Jesus and, right? Or then we kind of convolute the gospel with other things. Yeah, right. And so, okay, so if we're thinking about it that way, and we, it, it's really easy for us as American Christians to... Uh, talk about this in other cultures, right? So notoriously, we've talked about this in contexts like in Africa, right? And we say, well, they have certain Christian theological principles, but then they also still have like witch doctors. And they've kind of combined those two until, in, into their own version of Christianity. Obviously, we, we would know that that's, that's wrong. We don't want them to practice that kind of medicine, right? And all those things. We would say, no, that's not right. Jesus, you, you don't need those things, right? But we tend to turn a blind eye to how we participate in syncretism here in America, right? How do you see syncretism happening in Christianity today where faith and the surrounding culture have kind of blended together a little bit? Um, how do you see that happening today? Sure. Or what about any flag, right? Because nationalism is one way that we see this, right? Christian nationalism is... Now, there's a room for... Because I know, there's a room for patriotism. Sure, right. But there's a room for patriotism, right? And there's and all of those things. But... So, right. So, when we, when we have... When we're worshiping God, but also we're saying in America is somehow... Um, special in that way and we're also equally called to certain things in America right when we're saying Jesus and these certain political ideals right sure right and that means x y and z right right yeah Yeah. Right. Right. Uh huh. Sure. Sure. But then we can elevate 
country or love of country, right, to an unhealthy place, right? And so that's kind of what we're talking about there. Or so like even we can take the stakes down a little bit. I hate to break it to you to all the Christmas lovers, like Christmas trees, syncretism, right? So that is not actually a, an originally Christian idea. That was a pagan idea that Christians kind of adopted and say, it actually means this thing. It, it means that Jesus is the light of the world, right? We redeemed it, right? And that's what anyone participating in syncretism would say. We redeemed it, though, so it's okay, right? Okay. Okay. Well, but the idea is we take all kinds of things like that, right? And we twist it into this is how we practice our faith, right? Do you see that anywhere else, that idea of syncretism? Yeah. The what? Sure. <laughs> sure. So that's even, right, we, we would call ourselves a Christian, but when it comes to certain things, we're really more concerned about cultural things, right, than we are about the religious significance of those, of those holidays that tamales are meant to celebrate, right? Sure. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, so that's kind of what's happening here in Canaan, okay? The, the God of Israel, Yahweh, and these minor Canaanite gods, there's kind of this interesting dynamic there, okay? And so that's why Melchizedek uses this weird name for God that we've never seen before and aren't really going to see again because he's, he's not Jewish, right? He's not um, from Abraham's clan where he's walked with God, but he has had some sort of unexplained, significant interaction with Yahweh because he identifies him rightly as the ruler over all, Right? And we have all of these symbols, all of these significant things, like him bringing bread and wine, right? And, and all of these things coming to where we know that he has had some interaction with Yahweh. Right. But it, and it gets kind of like this, we, we redeemed it, right? But originally, that was meant to be part of the Canaanite pantheon, Right? Yeah, and so it's interesting because we take that and we're like, well, God is most high. <laughs> and in English, right, it sounds like a perfectly fine name for God, right? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And that's what, so that's why it's an interesting dynamic here. But somehow, Abraham recognizes and this is where I think we see the Holy Spirit at work, even in early, early Genesis, is that Abram recognizes that the Holy Spirit, Yahweh, is present in him, and it is also present in Melchizedek, right? And there's something unexplained that's happening there, okay? We know that they worshiped the same high God, okay? And Abram recognizes this in Melchizedek somehow when they meet, okay? Because he, he gives him a tithe, um, and he receives a blessing from him, right? And in this blessing, we see that Melchizedek was superior to Abram because we know that generally the superior blessed the inferior, right? So this is just, we're organizing Abraham compared to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the superior figure here, okay? So let's turn really quick from there. That's, that's all we got in Genesis, y'all, as like the historical person of Melchizedek. 
That's what we got. So let's turn to Psalm 110. And we won't stay here very long. And I'm going to read for a second. You're going to be like, what does this have to do with Melchizedek? And then it's literally the last word in this section that I'm going to read. Okay. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, that's the only time his name is used. From Genesis 14, now we're in Psalm 110, so now we're in the Psalms of David. Okay, so David knew enough to know about Melchizedek to randomly reference him here in Psalm 110. Okay, and obviously this psalm is about who? Jesus, right? Sometimes Jesus is the Sunday school answer that is correct, right? So this psalm is about Jesus, and it's noteworthy that Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. And it's talking about Melchizedek in this one random little verse in Psalm 110. The most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament is one that talks about Melchizedek, okay? But this is still not very clear. So if anything, now really, like, really turn your brain on here. What do we, do we learn anything about Melchizedek from this psalm at all? Yeah, so this is sort of setting up what we'll talk about in Hebrews, right? It's sort of a, it's kind of carrying the story on there a little bit. Now we, we know that Jesus is somehow connected to Melchizedek in some way, right? And really, I guess a, a better question is, what do we learn about Jesus in this psalm? What do we see about Jesus here? What do we, yeah, what do we see about Jesus in this psalm? Because that's an easier question to answer, and it gets us to our point. Yeah. Yeah, it's an eternal priesthood. We'll, we'll circle back to that soon. Anything else? There's not a lot. It's okay. There's, you're, you're not, like, missing something. Okay, there's... No, no, no. Not a lot. Really, it's that we're seeing that, okay, so Melchizedek is this weird guy that shows up for a few verses in Genesis. Now, all of a sudden, randomly in Psalm 110, David talks about Melchizedek and Jesus, even though we don't have any of that beforehand, okay? Those two aren't linked beforehand. And obviously, David doesn't fully understand what he's talking about, even though this psalm is about Jesus that's happening in the future, right? That hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's what, there is, there is not a lot, because there's literally just not a lot about him at all, but there is some extra biblical writings on him. So like in ancient Jewish literature, right, in the book of Second Enoch, right, these kinds of things, there's, right, and obviously these are extra biblical, yeah, so there's some ancient Jewish literature that does sort of unpack Melchizedek, but a lot of it is just sort of filling in the gaps, and there's some creative license taken, and it's not a lot of hard fact. It's a lot of filling in the gaps, and it's a little bit of lore, okay? And it's a little bit of people saying, no, surely we, 
Surely, do what? Yeah. A, li- a lot of what is out there on Melchizedek is fan fiction. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. And so there's not a lot that we get from this psalm other than that somehow, miraculously, Jesus and Melchizedek have to do with one another. Okay, so now we're in the home stretch. So, y'all, let's turn to Hebrews. Let's turn to Hebrews. Um, and we're going to breeze through some of this. Um, uh, and so, but first of all, for those of you that have studied the book of Hebrews before, what is like the, the general theme of the book? Or what is the point that the author is trying to make? Because we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Okay, so we're just going to call him the author. What is the point that the, the author of Hebrews is trying to make as he wrote this? Because it's a weird book. It's one of the weirdest books in the New Testament. What is the point of Hebrews? Uh-huh. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> that's true, right? And so that's what they assume that there's some knowledge at play here that we don't necessarily, that we're not privy to, right? Yeah. But what is the, the point of Hebrews? Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. It's, no, really, Jesus is our guy. No, really, because it's easy to see Jesus dying on the cross, right, and to say, well, well, that was compassionate of him, or that was nice of him, but isn't, is he not weak? Is he not just like a sacrificial lamb that has now died? Is he not fully man because he died on the cross, right? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 right? And, he, and they're saying, no, Jesus really is the Son of God. Jesus really is fully human, fully God, right? Jesus really is the Savior of the world, right? And they're making this case that's in a very Jewish perspective to say, no, really. Jesus is the end-all, be-all, right? And they, so the writer of Hebrews spends all this time talking about Jesus as the great high priest, right? Okay, and so we're just going to breeze through some of this. In chapter 5, we see that and we, all we see is that the author's starting to make this claim about Jesus being the true and the great high priest, okay? And the writer of Hebrews is real wordy, and he kind of enjoys the fact that he's wordy, and, and it's a little confusing, okay? And he'll spend a few chapters talking about it. Um, but in chapter 5, he's saying that Jesus is the perfect high priest. And then he quotes what we just read in Psalm 110, and he literally says, Look, guys, there's a lot to unpack here, but y'all are very bright, so just, just take it from me. And he kind of tries to go into it in the next two chapters, but literally at the end of chapter 5, he's saying, but your ears are dim, so I'm going to do my best, is basically what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Okay, so then again in chapter 6, he says that we've been given a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So it's that same term, the order of Melchizedek. Okay, and, that's, and we keep unpacking that Jesus is the perfect high priest, Okay, and then in chapter 7 is where we really get into it. This is the most we have on Melchizedek in all of Scripture, okay? So in verses 1 through 3, if you turn to chapter 7, it says, For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, there's that name for Yahweh again, the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth of 
part of all the spoils was first of all by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, read Jerusalem there, right? Which is King of Peace. He was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Yikes. Okay, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So what do we learn about him here? This spells it out a little more clearly. What, do we, what new information do we have about Melchizedek here in chapter 7 so far? Yeah, they're saying, no, really, it wasn't just a magic trick. He showed up out of thin air, <laughs> right? And we'll unpack that a little bit more in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Immaculate conception, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. And, yeah, and that's a, again, I don't, that's not the interpretation I go with, but it is a totally fair interpretation that does not upset me. Right. No, 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 and that's what, We'll unpack that because I think it's, this is more of a literary tool that we're seeing here, but it, it would be a totally fair interpretation to say, that sounds like an angel, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like an angel, right? And so that's a totally fair interpretation. Do we learn anything? Yeah. 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 What else? Do we learn anything else about him here? Yeah, he's still a priest, right? Um, yeah. And it's made like the Son of God, right? Not as or not in the same form as, but made like the Son of God, right? And we can parse through words here all day. Um, and so I think that's interesting, too. It says, he was without father and mother, nor genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Um, and so we'll unpack that, but a lot of times what, what the, most biblical interpreters would say was that now the writer of Hebrews doesn't actually care about the historical person of Melchizedek. Okay, they're saying, yes, that was a, most people would say, that was a guy in history that we don't know much about, and so we don't care much about his historical person. What we care about is his function that points us to Christ, right? So they're saying, it's not that he literally doesn't have a mom and dad, and that he literally has no genealogy, it's that we don't know it. And the original writer of Genesis didn't see fit to explain the genealogy of Melchizedek, right? Because his genealogy wasn't important. And that's what we're going to get to here in a second. Okay, we're, I promise it's coming. Okay, so now in verses 4 through 10, it's really confusing because the author of Hebrews kind of is a little tongue-in-cheek, and he's kind of having some fun with this sermon, okay? But I'll summarize this for a few verses, okay? So 4 through 10, the point is that it was the descendants of Abraham that formed the tribe of the Levites. Okay, what did the Levites do? Stay with me. I know that this is like a whole puzzle. 
Yeah, so they were the priestly tribe, right? And it's descendants of Abraham that became the priestly tribe. And one of their duties was to collect the tithes from the people and submit their sacrifices, right? And to be kind of the mediator between humans and between God, right? So that was the role of the priestly tribe of the Levites. And so then it's, it's fussing about tithe, right? That Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe because he's saying the tithe collecting idea descended from Abraham himself, okay? In the form of the Levites. That's part of what they did. So how great must Melchizedek be if then Abraham himself is tithing to the priest king Melchizedek? Okay, so that's kind of why they're harping on this idea of tithing. Point being, the dude's pretty important, okay? That's the whole point of that tithe conversation. But let's keep going. In verse 11, it says, Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed... Of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so that was a lot. How did a person become a priest in these times once the tribes were formed? How did you become a priest? What, what was the qualification? Be a Levite. Yes, right. But in that, so basically to be in the priestly tribe and to do priestly duty... You just had to be born into the right clan, right? That was the whole thing, was that you had to be born into the right family to be a priest. And so what, is, what are they saying here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the point is that Jesus isn't a priest because he was born into the right family. Right? Now, we know that his lineage is important, but Jesus wasn't a priest because he happened to be born a Levite. Right? Jesus is a priest, it says, because of an indestructible life. Right? Okay, so by virtue, by the power of God. Right? Not from family lineage, but from the power of the Holy Spirit, basically, is what that's saying. Right. 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 And so that's why, that's why it is totally fair. And I don't think wrong even to believe that. That's not like my flavor of the day, but because this is still a flavor of the day, right? This is not something I hold tightly. I'm not tongue into my friend. Melchizedek's not privy to necessarily all of the Jewish teachings, right? All of the same things that Abraham is. He's a, he's a Gentile. Right. So yeah, that's a really good question, and I don't fully know the answer to that, but we see, yeah, the idea of tithing happens in the garden, and then all of a sudden, the actual word tithe appears here. So what connected those dots? That's a, that's a really good question. 
right? And I think that idea developed with the people of God over time, but yes. Yeah. Even though, yeah, even though this is still pre-Leviticus. So how did they connect those dots? I don't know. That's a really great question. Yeah. Yeah. But we know that it was in some way a sacrifice and in some way a worshipful act, right? So it, it developed into our understanding of tithe from the garden. But yeah, it, it, it went on a journey through. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I know it's already 8.30, so we're going to hurry. So then it continues, okay? It says, for on the one hand, there's a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. Talking about the law, it says, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there's a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the, one with who, through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and it will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore he is able to also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And he's saying, I have a way that's better than the law, right? The law was never meant to give us righteousness or to reconnect us to God, right? It was to show us this, the sinfulness of our ways, right? And we just got studying Galatians. And that's what that whole book unpacks, right? And so just like Melchizedek, I think, symbolized that we have a great high priest in Jesus who trumps Everyone, the whole system, the whole thing, right? Jesus trumps all of those things. There won't need to be another one after him because his reign as priest and as king will be eternal, right? And so he's flipping the script from, it's no longer the, the system of the Levites. We're going back to the former days of the priest king, but, it, but this time it's going to be the real priest king, right? The real fulfillment of these things. And so that's why I think, I don't think the writer of Hebrews is particularly concerned with the historical Melchizedek, and he could be. It could just be, he's an angel. And it doesn't necessarily change the story or the significance, right? It's just about what form he took. I, I don't think he doesn't consider, you know, it could, he just could be some obscure holy man from some minor Canaanite deity who wandered out of the desert to make a cameo in, in Genesis, right? It Yeah. 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 Yeah, we yield till Melchizedek. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's what we we know he's the highest power or the idea of the highest power in that time, right? 
Um, but the whole thing, the whole point of the book of Hebrews, using this example of Melchizedek, is that he's concerned with the role that Melchizedek plays in pointing people to Jesus, regardless of if he's a literal historical figure that is just, we don't know anything about him other than that he played this role, or if he was an angel. The point of his existence in scripture is that he's pointing people to Jesus, right? The point about him is way back in Genesis, before the Levitical priesthood ever was, there was this foreshadowing of the person of Jesus, right? A king of righteousness, a priest king, who in mystery came to all the people, Jew and Gentile, to be a mediator for the people, right? To connect the people to God. And he's, a, he's kind of like a signpost. Regardless of his form, his role is that he's a signpost planted in this old way, in the original way, right? That's meant to indicate the good gifts that God gives to humanity through the person of Jesus, right? He was like a taste. And I love the way that Alistair Begg um, preached a sermon on this. He was a taste of the wine that was yet to come in Jesus, right? Literally, his name means king of righteousness, king of peace, a priest who literally had no beginning and no end, maybe, or figuratively had no beginning and no end. He sounds like the one who would follow, right? A foreshadowing of the great high priest that would come. And so we don't know much about him because Melchizedek isn't the point, right? The point, his entire function is to foreshadow Jesus. That Jesus was God's plan from the very beginning. Yeah, right. That is true, right? Right. Right. Well, and that's what, we know that it was important that Abraham had this encounter, right? And so, right, point being, this is God's plan from the beginning, but, right, there's, there's a lot of details, and like we said, there's a lot of other things, uh, some other things written about him, and we could go down all kinds of holes. There's the Dead Sea Scrolls, and there's all kinds of things. Um, but the point is Jesus, right? Because all of Scripture points to Jesus. And so there's this weird guy who pops up randomly, right, and is otherwise totally elusive and mysterious. But still, at the end of the day, his entire existence, just like any other significant person in Scripture, right, just like David, just like Abraham, all of it is soaked in the person of Jesus. And in some ways, weirdly, Melchizedek is, like, especially soaked in that, right, because we get this idea of communion, and we get this idea of, of tithing, right, and all of these things. Melchizedek is just a weird example that's extra poignant of, no, Jesus was the plan from the beginning, right? And so, wrapping up, because I know it's um, about to start storming pretty soon, and so I want you all to be able to get home safely. Um, Any final thoughts or questions or things that have come to mind as we've gone through who the heck is Melchizedek? Do you have at least a sort of understanding of who the heck he is now? Okay. Yeah, yeah, at least a general... Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And we, and there's this constant way. I love the word shadow there, right? Because pre-Jesus, right? All of these, like, it's almost like finding Easter eggs in scripture of, of ways that we see the, the shadow of Jesus, right? And there's a lot of Easter eggs in Melchizedek, right? But we see that throughout all kinds of things, right? We can read that into Abraham and David and all of these different situations, right? We see the foreshadowing of Jesus, the shadow of Jesus, and then even now, we're post-Jesus, right? We know that Jesus has ascended, right? And we, we've 
seen historical Jesus do those things, and we're still in the shadows of his second coming, right? So in a similar way, even though we've experienced Christ, we're still waiting in some sort of shadow for his return. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that's what, so point being, all of scripture is meant to point us to Jesus. But um, thank you all for going on this journey with me. I hope that it was, um, we learned a little bit about who this guy is with the crazy name. Um, But as we do, and really I know that it's, um, about to rain. And so as we do, would y'all pray for each other around tables? Um, and then we will get on out of here um, and be safe driving home. But we will pray for each other and then we will head on out of here. But there's food to go if you want to take a plate to go. Um, thank y'all for figuring out who the heck Melchizedek is. <laughs>